Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. How you guys doing this morning? All right, I like to hear that. Will you guys help me thank the worship team for leading us today? They did an awesome job. And uh, we're very excited. Let me get this situated here. I'm gonna be a little crowded this morning. We're very excited for this evening. It's gonna be an awesome time. We have a huge a huge worship team helping us lead this evening. So they kind of wanted to be a little more scaled back today, but I appreciate that. And uh, just so good to see all of you today. Uh, we got a packed house today, so that's really exciting. Maybe some of you are stuck in town. It's like, you can't go anywhere, right? So great place to, I'm really glad that you're stuck with us at church today. That's amazing. Um, actually, I was gonna have some friends visit for the worship night this evening, but they're stuck. My hometown of Palmdale, it's covered in snow right now, which is really bizarre at this time of year to see that place covered in snow. Uh, but they, they wanted to join us this evening. Some friends from down there, they can't now, but we are going to have an awesome time together. We today are in week two of a series that we're doing on the Ten Commandments titled, Thou Shalt Love. And as we talked last week, on the surface, this series may sound kind of simple and maybe in some people's minds a little bit elementary, but I think you're going to discover that these 10 words are incredibly relevant today. At one time, the Ten Commandments were a foundational part of our society, even, even our culture here in America. You might remember back in the day, they actually hung on school walls. Isn't that crazy to think about? Uh, they were some of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible at one point, but now today, you'd be very hard-pressed to find somebody who could actually recite them. Well, throughout this series, we're going to explore each of the Ten Commandments and then how they apply today in the 21st century. But to preface, I want to acknowledge that sometimes that word commandment, it kind of carries a negative connotation with it. Because no one really likes to talk about rules. No one likes to talk about statutes and commandments. Sometimes when people hear that word commandment, they think that God is trying to, you know, put them in a box and trying to take away their freedoms and trying to take away their fun. But, but what we know about God is that every commandment he gives, every rule, every law, every, you know, uh, encouragement to obey. It's always for our good and for his glory. He's protecting us and loving us and he cherishes us. And he says, hey, you want to know the best way to live your life? Well, live life the way it's intended to be lived. I made you. I know what is best for you. We do that with our kids, right? Like, Johnny, I know you want to eat a Three bags of cheeses today. You're not going to be feeling good this evening, though. Like, just listen to me. Eat this, you know, eat this, this healthy thing. So commandments. Now, a lot of times we hear that. We, it's kind of a negative connotation. Uh, but the Jews, I found this was kind of interesting. The Jews actually call them the 10 words. And the reason they call them the 10 words is because the, the, the passage starts like this in Exodus 20. It says, God spoke all these words, saying, so they're more just words, divine utterances from God himself. And every one of the commandments is, is about one thing, and that is love. Every commandment is about love. As we learned last week, the Ten Commandments, they are a summary of the law. If you start here 
and you end to read to the end of the Torah, that's the end of Deuteronomy, you'll discover there are in fact 613 laws in the Torah. Well, the 613 can be summarized with the 10. The first four of the 10 have to do with our relationship with God. The remaining six have to do with our relationship with each other. Jesus later on in the New Testament, he said you can actually summarize the 10 in two. He said the, 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 the law can be summarized with this, love God and love people. The 10 commandments, one thing to keep in mind throughout this series, it is all about love. Can I get an amen? God cares about love. Your love for him, your love for your neighbor, your relationship with him, your relationship with others. You were created to love because you were made by a God who is love. He loves us first. And he teaches us how to love back and how to love others. And so throughout this series, yes, we're going to talk about commands, but it's all at the bottom, at the, you know, if you boil it down, it is all every single week. It's all about love. So keep that in mind as we go through this series. Please, please turn your Bibles right now to Exodus 20, starting in verse three. I'm going to pray for us and we'll dive into this message together. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just want to say thank you again for an amazing morning of worship. And uh, I just personally just want to just say thank you for a chance to reflect on you. As we talk about idolatry today, I'm just so aware of the fact that we can make idols out of all kinds of things. And us as Americans, we have a tendency of, of uh, idolizing things that, that will hurt us, idolizing things that will distract us, idolizing things that can tear us apart and our families apart. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that today you would do the, the miraculous work of smashing idols in our lives. Come back onto the throne in our lives. Be number one in our worlds, number one at home, number one at work, number one in our thoughts, number one in, in everything that we do. And so God, if there are areas that we have lost sight of you, I pray for obedience. I pray for humility. I pray for a deeper love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, a few years ago, I was visiting a family member when something very strange happened. We arrived at this person's house. We were staying there for the weekend. It was my wife and I and some other family members were there in town as well. And, and so we arrive and we start to unpack our things and kind of settle in for the weekend. We had this little guest room and the guest room was next to an office. And, and we walked into the office and the first thing we noticed when we walked in the office was there was this crystal ball sitting on the desk. And this crystal ball, it was, it was shiny and it was bright and it was big. And it was one of those things that was just like, egging you on to go and touch it. You guys ever, you know, get that, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, I just got to touch it. I just, I just, I, I probably shouldn't, but I really want to. I know I probably shouldn't, but it, look how cool it is. Well, one of us, I'm not going to say who, one of us touched the crystal ball and something crazy happened. The moment they touched the crystal ball, it cracked down the middle, split in half and broke. And we're like, what did we just do? <laughs> and I knew in that moment that this was bad because it looked 
very expensive, okay? It was one of those things like it was on display on this desk. We're visitors in someone else's house. One of us touched it, it's broken. So I already knew we were kind of be, gonna be in trouble because it, it looked expensive. And so I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to buy a new crystal ball. I, well, where's, what, where's the crystal ball store? I don't even know where those are. Um, and uh, so we were a little, little worried. So when we confessed, we learned, this is what surprised me, I was shocked. We learned that this decoration on the desk it wasn't just a decoration. That's what I thought it was. It just looked like a, you know, a decoration. It was, according to them, an energy crystal. Um, crystals like this are a big part of new age spirituality. You've probably seen them. You've probably, they're online, they're in different stores. Maybe you know people who use them. They're, there's, uh, they're growing in popularity among teens and among adults. Uh, and they're, they're thought to hold special magical qualities. And so those who purchase these things look to them for physical healing, or they might look to them for energy and balance and, and, and good fortune. And so according to this family member, the moment we touched their crystal, okay, this was a, this was a big no-no. You don't touch the energy crystal, okay? This thing is sacred. The moment we touched it and it broke was uh, the moment all of the good energy and all the good vibe and all the good, I don't know, whatever words you can use for that, like emptied out of the crystal. And that was a very bad omen. And so according to them, a ritual needed to be performed to restore the positive energy. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> well, that night there was a full moon. Okay. I'm not making, just so you know, I never make my stories up <laughs> and this, I'm not making this up. There was a full moon that evening and so they said, what we need to do is we need to take the crystal and we need to bring it down into the ocean under the full moon and perform some kind of ritual on the crystal. I'm like, what are we, what, where am I? And so I'm like, this sounds very demonic, but they're thinking, no, this sounds like the, the fix to my life. And so they go down to the waves, no joke. They go down to the waves. They do some kind of crystal, crystal ceremony out in the ocean. And as they're walking, so the, the, the crystal is, I don't know, ritualized, set apart, sanctified. I don't know what words they use. And they're, so all, everything's right again in the world. Okay. The crystal's working properly again, according to them. But as they're walking out of the water, they're walking out of the ocean. It's a full moon. It's, it's bright outside. They're walking out, smiling. Everything looks awesome again. And then in the background, a giant wave starts growing behind them. And we're like, oh no, this doesn't look good. And it's coming, coming, coming. And it smashes them into the sand. And then they get up and their crystal is gone. Yeah. And we were laughing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we were trying so hard not to, but like, I know how much it, I just couldn't, we couldn't contain ourselves. We're laughing. They're searching all in the water to find their crystal and their crystal was gone. And I just got to say from that moment on, that family trip was pretty awkward. Okay. Like we, we never really recovered from the crystal episode. Their crystal was their key to good fortune. And this is, this, these are some of my family members. I love them. All right. I'm, I'm, I love them and they might be watching online today. Maybe I hope so. Um, but it was their key to good fortune. It was their key to spiritual balance. But now when their crystal was gone, all of those things were gone. 
According to a recent poll, roughly six in 10 American adults believe in some version of new age beliefs. Um, New age beliefs, here's just a couple of the things that new agers believe. They believe in psychics. They believe that spiritual energy can be found in physical objects like crystals or or other emblems. They believe in reincarnation. They believe in astrology. Uh, There's there's the whole just like manifesting things, uh, manifesting your words and making things happen out of your thoughts and your words. And and those are all some of the new age beliefs that uh, it's grown in popularity, especially um, in recent years. And I share this because you might be tempted As we talk about commandment number two, don't have idols, you might be tempted to think, man, that's that's irrelevant. We don't have idols. We don't? You don't think Americans have idols? You don't think that we struggle with false worship? (laughs) You see, I want you to see that false worship, it's not just a back then problem, it's a today problem. False worship, it's not just about old gods. It's also about new gods. And all we've done as a a society is trade old gods for new ones. The old gods like Moloch and Bel and Chemosh and Marduk from the Old Testament, they just have new names. The old gods, they promised status and wealth. They promised good vibes. They promised fertility and spiritual balance. They promoted sexual freedom. They promoted sensuality and debauchery and and drunkenness and partying and all of those things. Well, guess what? The new gods do the same thing. New gods, old gods, new names. So let's read commandment number two. This is what it says. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, a carved object of worship or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to it or serve it. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We talked about that last week. God is, he's in a covenant with us. Just like in a marriage relationship, you enter into a covenant, you're promising not to put another man before your husband or another woman before your wife. And so similarly, when you enter into a relationship with God, you're promising not to put something else in front of him because he is the greatest thing that the world has to offer. And so anytime we take him off the throne and put something else in place of him, we commit idolatry. And he's jealous of our love, jealous in the sense that he loves us so much. He, he wants exclusive love. And he'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate him. But he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. That's what God says about himself. Put me first. Worship me alone. There are four things I wanna share with you today about idolatry. And the first thing you need to know when it comes to this topic is that we all have idols, every single one of us. John Calvin is famous for saying that the human heart is an idol factory. And he didn't even know about Americans back then, okay? There was no United States of America. He, if he would see us today, 
I would say that this is more true now than ever before. An idol, just so you know, is an object of worship. It's an object of veneration that's meant to bring you closer to a God, or maybe it's a symbol of a religion that's supposed to bring some kind of blessing into your life. Traditionally, idols, they were handcrafted objects, um, often made in the likeness of some kind of deity. And so there are all these different deities. The whole world was, for the most part, polytheistic, lots of different gods. And these idols would take the forms, the small form of these gods. And it was believed that the incantations or the sacrifices that were made in the presence of these idols, these images, were brought into the presence of the deity in the spiritual realm. And so idols, therefore, are conduits to the spiritual realm, kind of like those crystals that I told you about in that story. It's a conduit to the spiritual realm, to spiritual blessing. And sometimes they could look like trinkets. Sometimes they could look like statues. Sometimes they could look like ancient ruins or crystals. Sometimes they could look like people. There's lots of things that we idolize that we try to put in front of ourselves to get be a conduit into the spiritual realm. But the bottom line is these images represent a spiritual being or a religion or a desired outcome. And the reason that they're revered is because they're believed to bring blessing. Blessings of wealth, blessings of status, blessings of fertility, of good luck. I mean, if some of you, maybe you grew up very superstitious, and you, you, know, you idolize certain things because you feel like if you don't do this, then bad things won't, will, will happen to you. And, and so you need, you, know, you need to put your right sock on first every time you put your shoes on because if you put your left sock on first, something bad's gonna happen to you. Right? We, we're a very superstitious society and we do things to, this is what idolatry is about, manipulating the spiritual realm to get the kind of desired results and responses that you want to see in your physical life. That's what idolatry is all about. And there are many idols in the world. There are lots of ways that we idolize things. See, the, the, the thing with idols is idols have to be fed, okay? That's the power that humans have over idols is they can't feed themselves. They have to be fed. And the more you feed them, the more likely you'll provoke the kind of response that you want out of them. And, and there are lots of idols that exist in the world and have existed throughout time. When I was a, uh, on a missionary trip, I've been to a few missionary trips in Southeast Asia. I went to places like India and Indonesia. And while I was there, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to, to any part of Asia, but if you have, you would notice that there are idols everywhere. Physical idols. I'm not talking about like old school, like, like, you know, they used to worship idols back then. They don't do that. No, like they literally still today have idols. You'll see idols in the airport. You'll see idols on the streets. You'll see idols in restaurants. You'll see idols in people's homes. And people are daily, every day, sacrificing to those idols. You'll see money on those little uh, altars. You'll see food. You'll see incense. You'll see all these different things being offered to these idols. It still exists today. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people still worship idols today. There were temples to idols. It was everywhere in Southeast Asia. And, and when I saw 
saw it, I remember just feeling like, oh my goodness, I am surrounded by idolatry. Idols are everywhere. Like, how do they not see that they have such a huge idolatry problem? I was there to train pastors. We invested in pastors and preached to pastors. And one thing that they were dealing with was how to keep the idols out of their churches because people always had their idols with them. What's interesting though, when I talked to the locals, they felt the same about Americans. The locals who had been to America, for those who had been here, for those who you know, flew a jet and landed in this country and looked around, they would tell us, man, how do you live in America? Aren't you sickened by the idolatry? I'm like, wait, isn't that like an actual statue with you know, food in it right next to you? They're like, no, like you guys are idol worshipers. Look at your houses. Look at your cars. Look at, look at how selfish you are. Look how vain you are. Everything's always about you. Everything's about, about uh, making yourself happy. You're, you're not concerned about the community. Look how greedy you are. Like I walk around, this is what they're telling us. We walk around in America and it sickens. Look how wasteful you are. You know how much food you guys waste? You know how much, like, look at, look how gluttonous you are. You know, how, like we would never do that with our food. We would never do that with our time. We would never do that to our family. We would never waste resources like that. Like they see us and they are disgusted by us because they see us as a bunch of idolaters. And that for me was like an aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, our problem is just as bad as theirs. The human heart is an idol factory. Idols can take on all kinds of different forms. And the more that you're around them, the less aware of them you become. Paul says this in Romans 1 verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, that's idols, resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things and animals. Therefore, God gave them up. I think it's safe to say that human beings have an idolatry, idolatry problem. And the big question is why? Why do we have an idolatry problem? Well, the short answer is that human beings are worshipers. You were made by God to be a worshiper. And if you're not worshiping the God of the Bible, then you'll worship something or someone else. Harold Best says it this way. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am and all that I do and all that I can ever be in light of a chosen or choosing God. We are worshipers. Everyone worships all the time. Christians are worshipers. Buddhists are worshipers. New age spiritualists are worshipers. Agnostics are worshipers. Even atheists 
are worshipers. Everyone who's living is always worshiping, pouring themselves out for someone or something. That's what we were made to do. That's what we always do. The question is, who or what are we worshiping? The opposite of Christianity, Peter Kreft says, is not atheism, but idolatry. We all worship. We all have idols. The second thing, though, you need to keep in mind with that is that even good things can become idols. Even good things. Last week, we learned that a God is whatever is favored or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than the God of the Bible. When you love something more than God, that's become your God. When you serve something more than God, that's become your God. If you favor something or fear something or depend on something or delight in something more than the God who made you, the God you were made for, if you put something in front of him, that becomes your God, which means that just about anything can become a God, even the good things in our life. Okay, that's one thing that Satan is very good at. Satan takes good things and he turns them into God things. Martin Luther warns about this. He says, to have a God is to have something in which the heart entirely trusts. What is your heart trusting in entirely? And when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it in that moment becomes for us a God thing. So good things can become God. Winning is good, but it can become an idol. I learned this yesterday. My son is in soccer right now. My son does every single sport under the sun, okay? Uh, and I don't make him do that. He just, he, he makes me do that. Um, he, he does not like sitting around. He does not, he, he literally, if we have a day, any downtime right after school, it's okay, can we go to this practice? Can we do this event? Can I sign up for this? Can I compete in that? And, and he, he is a competitor. He loves to compete. He doesn't like to lose. And so I, one great lesson we're learning last, yesterday, he's on uh, the, so the Lemoore Indoor Soccer League, which is awesome, by the way. I don't know if you guys have checked it out. It's really cool. Johnny showed up, his first time playing soccer. He's never played his whole life. He did two practices and then a game yesterday and that's it. And uh, his team got, they got whooped, okay? They got whooped, zero to four. And he got off, he, got off, he was not happy about losing. Um, he didn't throw a fit, but he was not happy. And so when he loses, it's a great opportunity to, to teach him about the danger of idolizing winning, okay? You, there's a lot you can learn even when you lose. Success can become an idol. Work, work is good but it can become an idol. School can become an idol. Children can become an idol. A sports team can become an idol. Even religious things, Christian things can become idols. That's what happened in the Middle Ages with the Catholic Church, which is why there was a Reformation because the Catholic Church began to, to uh, revere and venerate images, saints, Stained glass windows, crosses, the teeth of old dead saints. Like literally people would come and worship rotted teeth in a, 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 a Catholic building in order to break into the spiritual realm to hopefully be heard by God. Okay, lots of good things can become idols. Worship styles can become an idol. Our preferences can become our idols. As a pastor, I quickly realized even ministry itself could become an idol. 
I mentioned to this, mentioned this to you guys before, but I first learned about ministry idolatry when I was at Bible college. I went to Eternity Bible College and I had a, a, a preaching teacher there by the name of Francis Chan. And Francis shared with us once about the danger of idolizing ministry. He said that after he graduated from the master's seminary, he was invited to come back and speak at a chapel service. And normally, if, if you know Francis, he's an amazing preacher, one of the best in the world, one of the best alive. Normally, he didn't feel nervous to speak, didn't matter the size of the crowd, but he knew that on this day, the president of the seminary would be in attendance, John MacArthur, if you guys know who he is, he would be there in attendance. And so when, when Chan stepped into the pulpit for that chapel service, he looked out at the crowd and the first thing he said he did was he was trying to figure out where John MacArthur was sitting. And so he's looking out because he's like, man, I need to impress this guy. And so as soon as he saw J-Mac, that's what we always call him, J-Mac. As soon as he saw him, he kind of geared his message around that one person. And driving home from that sermon, his wife was with him in the car and he asked his wife, hey, honey, how did you feel that sermon went? She said, honestly, that was that was terrible, Francis. Like that was the worst sermon I've ever heard you give. And he's, she, he's all, why? What made it so, she's all, what, what was wrong with you? He's like, honestly, I could not stop thinking about MacArthur. I was so fixated on him that I couldn't even preach the way I was meant to preach. Francis reminded us that God is the only audience that really matters in this world. He's the only audience that really matters in your life. You don't need to live for everybody else's approval. You don't need to live for the approval of an idol. You don't need to live for your own glory. You can live for an audience of one. That is the way to a blessed life. That is a way, the way to a flourishing life. That is the way to contentment and joy in this life. When you live first and foremost for the God who made you, the God who loves you, living for an audience of one. And I feel like that is very important for where we are currently as a church here at South Valley. It's no secret that here at South Valley, we have undergone lots of different trials over the years. I'm only with, I've only been here with you guys for about a year and a half. And many of you have been here for 20 years or longer. You have seen this church go through all kinds of different phases. And what I love about you is that you continue to push forward. You continue to worship. You continue to raise your hands. You continue to get on your knees in prayer. But I'm gonna remind you as we face changes, as we continue to move ahead into everything that God has for us, there are gonna be times where Satan is going to wanna pull us apart or drift us into weird directions and, and, and take our focus off of worshiping God together, acting like a family, worshiping and exalting him first and foremost. That is why we are, we exist. We are one family united under one savior, Jesus Christ. And our mission and our purpose is to exalt him and him alone. And let's do that as a family. Let's not let good things become God things. Fine, number three, we reflect our idols. We reflect our idols. G.K. Beale says it this way. What people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. Because we're created in the image of God, 
everyone is always without exception reflecting either God or a God. And if we're not reflecting our creator to our restoration, we are reflecting creation to our ruin. And so when we come to this topic of worship and reverence, we need to remember that we will resemble whatever it is that we revere. You resemble what you revere. And so if you revere some kind of celebrity, you're going to resemble them. If you revere some kind of, I don't know, something in culture, you will revere that thing. For Israel, their gods, they were blind, they were deaf, they were dumb. They were literally statues carved out of wood and overlain with gold. And so God said, hey, those statues are blind and deaf and dumb and they can't speak and they're, they're worthless. And because of you worshiping them, you are turning into them. You are becoming worthless yourself. That's what God was saying to Israel. He says this in the Psalms, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have no mouths. They have mouths, but don't speak. Eyes, but don't see. They have ears, but don't hear. Noses, but don't smell. They have hands, but don't feel. Feet, but don't walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all those who trust in them. You are what you worship you reflect what you revere. And the problem with idols is that every idol will overpromise and underdeliver. It will require more from you than you really want to pay, and it will never satisfy you in the end. And with this in mind, commandment number two is very unique in the Ten Commandments because it warns us that idolatry is generational. He says this, don't bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the sins, the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so what we see here in this commandment that's different from the others is that God is reminding us that his blessings will follow us for generations. Okay, if we worship him, trust him, put him number one in our life, he will bless us and guide us and be there for us. And his blessings will follow us from generation to generation. They'll go from us to our kids, to our kids' kids and go on and on and on. His blessings will follow us, but so will his curses. This doesn't mean that God punishes the children for the sins of their parents, but it's a reminder that whatever we worship, our kids will worship too. Your parents are watching, your kids are watching you. They know what you put first. They know who you trust. They know what you rely on. They know what you worship. They see who you worship and they will take on the same gods that you have put up in your life. Whatever God you resurrect, they likely will resurrect as well. And so there's a warning here that your gods will become your kids' gods. And so what kind of gods do you want your kids to worship? Do you want it to be Yahweh? Do you want them to have a relationship with Jesus? They're watching you. They know if God is really first in your marriage and in 
in your work and in your finances, or if he's not, they actually know the real you and what you really worship. Will you be passing on faith or will you be passing on curses? Will you be passing on blessing and joy and a life that is exciting for them to live? Or are you gonna be passing on the same old habits that have been passed down from generations? How many of you in this room have family issues that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation? I think we all relate to that. We've seen the same foolishness, the same rebellion, the same spirituality, the same idolatry, the same addictions for generations. That is one of the consequences of idolatry. Our kids become like us, our grandkids become like us, our great grandkids become like us. And for some of us, that will mean that growing old, as we grow old, we'll just see the people we love become more, take on some of the same bad habits that we ourselves had. And so there is a solution for all of this. There is a solution for idolatry. And it's this, put Jesus first and choose to live for him. That's the solution. Don't be distracted by idols. Don't be distracted by what's cool. Don't be distracted by that new thing, that new shiny thing, that thing that promises you blessing apart from God, that thing that promises you safety and security apart from God, that thing that you're gonna get your identity in apart from God. Don't trust it, don't believe it, don't follow it, don't put all your chips on it. Put your life on Jesus Christ, build your life on him and you will have the joy of salvation. You have the joy of God's blessing and that blessing won't be just for you. It'll be for your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. For generations after generations, you will see the mighty hand of God in the midst of your family because he is alive and every idol is a liar. Can I get an amen? And so in conclusion, Only Jesus can smash our idols. Only Jesus can smash our idols. Maybe today you realize, oh my goodness, I have an idol. There's something I'm putting in front of God. I'm relying on it for my value. I'm relying on it for my worth. I'm relying on it as a, as a source of you know, good luck or I'm relying on it as a source of blessing and, and, or I'm re, and it's distracting me from God and it's, 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 I put it in front of God. Today is the day, number one, is to expose whatever your idols are. Confess it, is it a good thing? Is it a good idol that has become a God thing and then turned into a bad thing? Expose it. Is work an idol? Is success an idol? Is pride an idol? Your looks an idol? Your, your uh, you know, people pleasing an idol? What has become your idol? It will overpromise. It will underdeliver. It will tear you down. You will not be satisfied. It is not worth your time and energy and effort and worship. Only God is. You were made for something greater. Every idol will let you down in the end. Expose your idols. Number two, surrender them. Surrendering idols means saying, God, I choose today to stop worshiping my bank account, if that's your idol. I choose today to stop worshiping what people think of me and the the amount of followers that I need to have in order to feel valued or whatever that person says about me in order to feel valued. I'm done people pleasing. I am living today for an audience of one. I'm putting you first. 
I'm done living first and foremost for my kids. Kids are amazing. Kids are a blessing. But I'm gonna just tell you, kids make terrible gods. That, everyone should be saying amen to that, okay? Kids make terrible gods. Don't worship your kids. Your kids don't want a mom and dad that worships them. They want a mom and dad that worships the Lord. That is the kind of mom and dad that they want to raise them. That's the kind of mom and dad they want to follow. That's the kind of mom and dad that will see blessing and joy and, and, and success in their lives. Put him first. Surrender your idols. Put God first in your family. God first at work. God first in your singleness. God first in your sex life. God first in what you do behind the scenes. Put him first. Get rid of your idols. Surrender them and let Jesus crush them. Jesus will not share his throne with another God. Jesus says, you can't have two masters. Some of us in this room are serving two masters today. We love Jesus, but we also love this girl. And we're more concerned about what this girl thinks than what Jesus thinks. Or we love Jesus, but we also love our bank account. Or we love Jesus, but we all, whatever it is. I mean, I, I don't need to nitpick. We all, we all, we're all idolaters. I have my own idols things that I have to surrender daily, things that I have to let go of, things that I have to call out, things that I need to not be go, become comfortable with, that I need to expose, that I need to get real with Jesus and be like, you know what? This is not good. I need to surrender it and let Jesus crush it. Make him number one in your life. He will not share his throne with anyone or anything else. Stop serving two masters. Serve him first and foremost. And finally, just to add a little piece of something, come back to the heart of worship. Tonight we have a worship night. I feel like it's great timing because commandments one and two are all about worship. You might remember this song, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. That song was written in the 90s because what people were realizing in the 90s is that, that churches had kind of lost sight of what, what are we even doing? Why are we even here? What is this about? They lost sight of worship and they got caught up in all these peripheral things. And, and so it was a reminder, we are here first and foremost to exalt the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to humble ourselves under the Lord. And if that is something you're feeling like you wanna see more of in your life, I encourage you be at our worship night this evening. It is gonna be amazing. We cannot wait to see you guys there. Sign up on the app right away, sign up online right away, get here and just come ready to hear from God and surrender distractions and worship him and him alone. Get, let's get back to the heart of worship. We pray with me? God, thank you so much for very cool passage of scripture, Exodus 20, very cool commandment. When we first read it, it doesn't sound like it really relates to us, but the more we think about it, we realize we're idolaters. I'm an idolater. Help us expose the idols. Help us surrender the idols. Jesus, smash our idols. Be number one, number one in our world, number one in our lives, number one in this church. Help us to have purity in our worship. You, God, said that you are looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That is what you're looking for people who worship out of an authentic, heartfelt, 
posture. People who worship with words that are true about you. People who mean what they say and are willing to follow you even when it's hard. Let us be that kind of church, that kind of people. I pray you would be doing it right here, right now today, and that you would be doing it this evening. Bless us, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.